So my heart in the message that we're about to, this is another pillar or foundation of the gifts. Uh, without understanding some of this stuff, we, we're going uh, to learn the gifts of the Spirit out of context. Um, there's this saying that a, uh, a text without a context is a con. And it's, it, it's, it rings true in biblical studies. You know, we have to know the historical, uh, how, the way we interpret Scripture. We ought to know what the writer meant. And what the reader heard, what they understood. And, and so, you know, a, a, tech, a text without a context is a con. And so we've been talking about the gifts of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we can't just focus on one set of gifts. We have to embrace the fullness. And today, this is another pillar and a foundation of understanding the gifts of the Spirit before we dive in and learn about the word of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, all the gifts that God's given us. We, we want to uh, learn the context of why he's given us these gifts. How many think that's kind of important? Um, and then, and then what happens to us? Like how, how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives and what happens to us? And so I'm going to be reading most of, uh, first Corinthians 12. Don't let that scare you. Uh, cause I'm just going to read right through a little bit and, and talk, but, um, we're going to read it out of the message. So if you don't have that, the message Bible, it was translated by Eugene Peterson, brilliant scholar and, and author. And, uh, it's, it's a contemporary translation, but you can read it later. Uh, I like to go to studylight.org and I like to just dive in the scripture and I'll read like three or four or five different translations. And sometimes I'll open up a Bible app and I'll just listen to it and I'll listen to it in different translations. And when I heard it in the message, I said, that's the one we need to bring, uh, for this series on, on this Sunday. Um, so if you have, uh, uh, a message Bible open up. If not, it's going to be above you here on the screen. First Corinthians 12 verses one through three. Are y'all ready? Okay. Let me just pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for your presence. Thank you. Holy spirit for, uh, kissing this moment, this Kairos moment right now with your presence, with your life, with your grace, your touch of grace that flows from heaven. And it's flowing, God. It it never stops, just like the ocean. It just keeps crashing into us. And so we open our hearts. And uh, Lord, thank you uh, for your people and touch them, Lord. I pray that uh, Holy Spirit just use me to communicate the scripture and make it alive, I pray. Make it alive in Jesus' name. And one more prayer. I just, Lord, would you save all these folks in Jesus' name? And everybody said, amen. Did I say that out loud? I mean, I thought it. Have you ever thought something and then it just slipped out? All right. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth leaketh. Come on, somebody. God knows that's true. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first uh, three verses in the message. Here we go. Now, Paul is introducing something, uh, and he's kind of changing the subject. It's always good to read the letter in the context of the letter, but he's kind of changing the subject here. He says... Here's what I want to talk about, guys. He's, he's telling the church, uh, this is how the gifts of the Spirit operate. This is what it's all about. Here's what he says. What I want to talk about now is the various ways God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. He says, this is complex and often misunderstood. How many can say amen to that? 
but I want you to know, and I want you to be informed and knowledgeable. Remember how you were when you didn't know God? That, that's a really good point right there. Paul's like, hey, don't forget where you came from. You know, because sometimes we walk into this culture of heaven and we think we've got it all down, understand it all. And God redefines our definitions. God redefines everything, you know, and sometimes we limit uh, our understanding of things based on how we, we've, you know, defined things and we've defined the Holy Spirit, defined the gifts of the Spirit. And, and so, you know, Paul's, in fact, uh, you know, he's, he's like trying to tell him like, the, it's, it's not about this spooky craziness that you're experiencing. If you study historically, uh, the church of Corinth, they were out there, man. And there was some paganism stuff mixed in. And, um, and some people will use that and just kind of throw out all the gifts and say, well, the things that you see today, well, it's just like the church of Corinth. It's just all paganism. And they broad stroke and label anything that they have an experience, like the baptism with the Holy Spirit tongues and those sort of things. And they just say, oh, that's just all that paganism. But that's not what we're supposed to do. How I many you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You embrace what God has for us, but we have to understand it. And so we come, uh, like Chris was just sharing, like a child. We come humbly, teachable. We come and we say, I'm not going to forget where I came from. I've got to learn of the Spirit. There might be some other spirits I followed. Come on and drank the spirits. You know, those spirits at the bar. Come on, somebody. <laughs> there might be some other spirits that led us astray, but this is the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is a new world. It's a whole new world. It is uh, the Spirit of God that leads us and, and he, he helps us understand that we're children of God. And he has gifts for us. And Paul's like, remember how you were when you didn't know God. Led from one phony God to another. Uh, never knowing what you were doing, just doing it because everybody else did it. Uh, sounds like that still happens in the church. But anyways, uh, it's different in this life. God wants us to use our intelligence to seek to understand as well as we can. Now, I want you to understand your mind is holy. Now, you might not think holy thoughts all the time, but the, it, learning who we are as children of God sanctifies our mind. It, it changes our thoughts. You know, like we always say, like, let's captivate our thoughts. You know, if your heart is captivated, it's easy to take thoughts captive because your heart is the center of your being. And, and a lot of times we'll overemphasize one or the other, but I want you to understand using your head and thinking for yourself is a good thing. We should never follow things blindly. We should be able to think for ourselves. Now, if, you, if we are a part of a Christian denomination movement or anything like that, and you can't think for yourself, that's a cult. Hello? A good teacher will not tell you what to believe. A good teacher will help you think for yourself. It's called be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's not just programming. It's liberating. So you can think for yourself. Uh, and you don't have to follow anything blindly. And that is what helps us open up to the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean that we isolate ourselves and come up with our own junk and get all weird. Community is the context of theology. If you do not do theology in community, you're going to go crazy. You, you have to... Healthy community is is literally a, a vital organ to the Christian life. It, it is impossible to be healthy outside of community. Impossible. I promise you. It's impossible to relate to God outside of relationship with one another. Yeah. 
Amen. So I want you to get what he's saying here. He's, he's saying, use your head. Understand this stuff. It's not just this ecstatic thing where it's like there's no control and the gifts of the Spirit are coming upon me. You know, and like we have this idea. But how many know God flows through us? But we're going to learn later on in chapter 14. Paul says the Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, uh, God yields by his choice. The Holy Spirit connects and partners with the prophet or a leader. And, and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, there's a leader. The Holy Spirit works with the leader. We don't, now we've yield to the Holy Spirit. We follow him and, it, and there's a wind and there's a moving and a nudging in the spirit. But that doesn't mean we follow blindly and we lose control, so to speak. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so there's, there is a giving over, but it's not a giving over of our mind and our will. It's a, it's a giving over knowing that our mind and our will is connected to the very heart of God. And this is the beauty of the Christian life, that when the Spirit of God comes and he, he indwells us, that it says that the Spirit of God teaches us and he bears witness with our spirits that we're children of God. In other words, our heart now beats at a different rhythm. Now, if our heart is not beating on the right rhythm, we just got to yield to grace again. We've got we've to sit back in Papa God's lap, lean into his heart, and hear that sound that says, you're my son. It's who you are. I love you. And we're like, oh, okay. And you, and you come alive. You come alive. And so Paul wants them to come alive. He doesn't want them to think that what the manifestations that they're seeing are the Holy Spirit when they might not be the Holy Spirit. Not every spirit is the Holy Spirit. Hello? Not every time somebody does something in church that is you know, charismatic in the sense that it's, you know, loud or boisterous. doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes if it draws attention away from Jesus, it's definitely not the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's an unholy spirit or it's just somebody's insecurity and they, they feel validated in that. So this is what Paul's dealing with. Are you understanding the context of what I'm saying? Can I teach you this morning? I'm already going for it. So if you don't like it, yeah, there's plenty of doors, so God bless you. It's hot outside, though, and it's cool in here. So, And we got coffee and water, and we got a waitress coming around, too. So just, yeah, come on, somebody. All right, so here we go. Uh, he's saying, you got to think for yourself. It's different in this life. God wants us to use our intelligence, and we got to understand things. Now, look, this is so good. For instance, by using your heads, you know perfectly well that the Spirit of God would never prompt anyone to say, Jesus be damned. Nor would anyone be inclined to say, Jesus is master or Jesus is Lord without the insight of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I want to talk about for a moment. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, read it in John 14, 15, 16. The Holy Spirit uh, points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit reminds us and makes Jesus plain to us. The Holy Spirit brings him up before so we understand who Jesus is. And Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. You see, the Father is the fount of the Trinity. It's from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a beauty in understanding the Trinity. We We can pray to Jesus, we can pray to the Holy Spirit, but how many know we pray to the Father? This is the way we write it, it's written in Scripture. You pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important because here's, here's something Paul's saying. 
He's saying that if it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it will always exalt Jesus as Lord. If it takes attention away from Jesus and puts it on something or someone else, it's not the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that so important? It's so important because uh, in the context of what he's about to get into, he then kind of shifts and says, it's about the body of people. It's not just about uh, you and your worship. It's about the body. It's not just about you and your gift or me and my gift. It's about the body. Amen. And so Paul now is writing and he's trying to help them say, listen, the Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus as Lord. One of the ways you can tell if a manifestation is from Jesus, uh, uh, from the Holy Spirit, it's going to exalt Jesus as Lord. It's going to glorify Jesus. If it doesn't glorify Jesus, it's probably not a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus and Jesus reveals to us the heart of the father. Now, this is so important as we dive into the gifts of the spirit, because what happens is when we begin to learn about these beautiful gifts, you know, like the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge or prophecy, prophecy is a big one. How many love prophecy? You know, there was a time in my life, I didn't get a word for like 10 years and I was kind of mad at the Lord. I'm like, I have not got a word. What is wrong with me? And I used to mess around with people. We'd have a guest speaker who's prophetic. I'm like, by the way, I haven't got a word in years. And they're like, okay. You know, thinking like, I'm not going to prophesy over you. You can't, if I sow into your ministry, will you give me a word? You know, that stuff, I don't know. We don't want to do that. But there was this time, there's just a love for prophecy. How many know the body of Christ? We should love hearing the heart and the voice of God through his people. But how many know sometimes uh, people with the gift, with their gift, they, they, they want to prophesy and, and yeah, it's good to like, yeah, I want to encourage somebody, but sometimes people really, I mean, we sometimes prophesy cause we want to encourage ourselves. Hello. It's called getting high on your own fumes. This is what Paul's dealing with here. Okay. He's dealing with that type of thing. So he's trying to bring them in and say, listen, it's not just about you. The gift, and matter of fact, let me just say this. The gift that God gives is to give to somebody else. The gift that God gives you is never just for you. It's so that you can bring blessing to people that are around you. It's always for comfort, encouragement. It's always for building up, for edifying, and giving life to somebody else. But isn't it interesting, though, that our church culture, even our church culture, a lot of times, you know, I remember I used to go to church and I'd be like, oh, I want God to use me. Even our prayers, God, use me. How many times is that prayer, hear my heart, it comes from a place of use me so I know you still love me and I know I'm still valuable in your eyes. Instead of choose me because I know somebody needs a touch from God. Use me because there's hurting people that are going to be in here this morning. And I want them to experience your love like never before. You see the difference? Sometimes it's orphan. Use me, Lord. Oh, God, use me. Because we think that God leaves us or something. Or he takes his gifts away. Or he never doesn't take it away. And why do we want him to use us? We want him to use us because we want to love people. How many know it's about love? And if it's about love, it's about self-giving. It's about building somebody else up. So your gift isn't just for you. As a matter of fact, I'll just put it this way. Your gift is for someone else. 
in the context of the gifts of the spirit, if they are narcissistic and about us, that's not the Holy Spirit. We're misusing the gifts, if I could put it that way. But when our heart is yielded to him, we become love and we give, we give away, we serve, we wash one another's feet. This is so profound and so important. So the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to jump down to verse 11. Are you all enjoying this so far? All these gifts have a common origin, but are handed out one by one by the Spirit of God. He decides who gets what and when. I love that. Let the Holy Spirit make these decisions. Like, let the Holy Spirit stir our innermost being and flow. You cannot coerce God or, you know, there's, there's just like this manipulative thing. Sometimes even in prayer, I used to do it. I used to, and I was so loud. There's times I felt like the Lord whispered and said, you know, you're, you're so loud. You can't even hear me talk. And I'm like, God, but I'm praying in tongues. And he's like, you, would you just shut up for a minute? I mean, I don't know if that's how he talked, but you know, it feels like that when he speaks to my heart and he's like, just, just be still and, and listen and, and yield. So Paul's trying to get him to yield. Oh, it's such a beautiful word. And it, it's so profound when our hearts, especially when a body, like this morning we're worshiping and when all of our hearts are together in harmony and sometimes most of the time it is exemplified and, uh, and seen in our voices being in harmony. So when we sing together, this is what the Bible says that when we're in agreement, he's there in our midst. How many know that Matthew 18, when our hearts actually connect and we yield together, Oh man, get ready to experience the love and the power and the manifest presence of God. So Paul's trying to, he's trying to get them together. In the, in the context of the gifts and what, how the Holy Spirit works. He says, you can easily see how this thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. Come on. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. Oh, isn't this rich? We, you, we each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and in action when, we, when you were baptized. Each one of us now has a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. Now look at this, verse 14. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged, say arranged, and functioning together. Isn't this beautiful? Now, a lot of times we'll teach on the gifts and we'll just start reading the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, word of faith, or faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, interpretation, tongues. And, you know, like I, I've memorized that as a young believer and there's nine gifts and well, I know what each one means and praise God. And, but it, it was, 
it was out of element of really how the Holy Spirit wanted me to understand the gifts, which is that it's not supposed to be, Lord, thank you that I have the, you know, the gift of prophecy and I'm going to prophesy today. Well, sometimes that orphan-minded prayer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use me today, Lord. It's, it's like I, what I'm praying is, God, I want to make a sound today. And what I'm praying is, God, I, I want to be a solo artist. It is so common in church cultures. Instead of, God, I'm a part of a body. And my part is a piece. We all carry a piece of his heart. And when I honor and I want to give and I want to bless and I want to encourage and I want to love, because it's all about love, you'll see in the next chapter. He's trying to show him a better way. God, it's about a body. It's about love. And so... Lord, if you use me, that's wonderful. I know you love me, but you love your people. And I want that love to show. I want somebody to get touched with the love of God. So I pray that I would be a part of a symphony. You see, in one understanding, it's a solo. I'm anointed. I'm gifted. Gifts and callings. We all want to, we want to buy the, the first bestseller, you know, sermon series, you know, how to walk in your gifts and callings. Come on, somebody. <laughs> right? Can we be honest? What about like, how can I love well? Because when I love, I'm literally opening up the valve to see rivers of living water flow. And then I realized like the nine gifts are just the beginning and each one has a many colored display of glory on it. And it exponentially just reveals the heart of God as we love people, as we love well. Are you getting what I'm saying? Paul's like, look at the body. This is how it works, guys. And it makes you more significant, not less. A body, I'm going to read this again, is not a single part blown up into something huge, but it's the different, different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. It's not a solo. It is a symphony. Every sound is important in a symphony. And the beautiful Holy Spirit, the maestro of the symphony, tunes our hearts. And he tunes our voices and he tunes our gifts so that we, he tunes them to, guess what the tune is? Love. Love is the tune. That's the tuner. You know, these instruments, when you play without tuners, (laughs) it would not be pretty folks. How many started worship? Any worshipers in here? You know, musicians, how many started in a youth band? Anybody? I did. There are many times we start rehearsal and three, four instruments, they're all tune differently and young musicians don't you know they're just like and it's just i remember this one time we had this guitar player and there's this like holy moment we're singing like i exalt thee you know and it was like it was pretty glory filled and the youth are singing and and this guy on the electric i swear this he, he instead of doing like a really legit thing like john does up here it was like I'm like, that's a solo, dude, (laughs) not a symphony. 
I, I'm not even, I'm not exaggerating at all. I mean, it was like, I exalt thee. And this dude, whammy bar stuff. Like, and I'm like, who just pulled me out of the holy holies, man? Talk about a ripoff, right? But there's something about being tuned by the love of God. And this is what Paul's saying is that if you want to understand the gifts, you got to understand the body because it ain't just about you and your solo and your God use me. <laughs> Only time we cry is God use me. I just want to be used by God. I prayed that stuff for years. I got delivered from that. I got delivered from the God use me. I'm an orphan. <laughs> you like the facial expressions? I'm making them really ugly on purpose. Okay. But then there's the God. I want to love. When we planted the church, this, this was our cry. What is real fellowship? What does church look like? I want to experience the presence of God. I want to see revival. I want to see drug addicts delivered. I want to see orphan wounds healed. I want to go to the dark places like yesterday, the DMV. Come on, somebody. I want to go. That's where they did an outreach. Come on, you go to the darkest place in the city. Glory to God. <laughs> God, I want, to, I want to see people touched and set free by your love. Not just use me, God. I want to preach. I want to, I want to, that. But you understand what I'm saying? Like the heartbeat of understanding the gifts is knowing that we're called to be a part of a symphony. We're not called to release our solo. Well, I have the gift of healing, so praise God. And you know, it's not meant to get more subscribers on your YouTube channel. Drop the mic and walk away. No, it's meant to get people healed. <laughs> and it ain't about whose hands laid on them when they got healed. If we stopped thinking that way, oh man, we'd see so much more breakthrough because love is the key. Compassion is the key. When you love somebody, oh, they're going to get healed. They're going to get a word. It, it's easy. You know how easy it is to prophesy to somebody that you just love? It's so easy. We do it with our kids all the time. We're sitting at the table. Hey, prophesy. Little Hannah, she's so quiet. She prophesies. And then everyone's crying. Because <laughs> just love comes out of her heart. And she's like, Sarah, your voice is going to be heard in the nations. She says, Sarah, when you walk in the room, your smile lights up the whole room. Sarah, and she's just prophesying the heart of God to her older sister because she loves her. The gifts... Come on, the gifts flow when we love. And this is what Paul's saying. Are, are you all enjoying this? Okay, I, I don't know if I can, I'm probably gonna have to make this part two. I've been going for 30 minutes, exactly. So um, I have a lot more to go to, but let, let me... ...do this, significant from getting blown up into self-importance. I'm going to read it again. Paul says, I want you to know how, how this keeps, to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it's only because of what you're a part of. Bring it home, Lord. Bring it, Lord. Speak that spirit of truth. 
An enormous eye or gigantic hand wouldn't be a body. I just had a visual of that. It would be a monster. Our solo cultures are a monster. Show us Jesus. Because he's going to show us who the Father is. And when we know who the Father is, it it just works out. It just works out. Something about the authority of Papa's voice. Something about the power of sitting in dad's lap. It just changes his kids' hearts. I love so much better when I just let God love me. The Father, the Father, the Father. This is what, this is what Paul's saying. Uh, and then he goes on and says, What we have is one body with many parts, each in its proper size and proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine the eye telling the hand, get lost, I don't need you. Or a head telling a foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. Wow. First Corinthians twelve twenty seven. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. I said it too fast. Come on. Only as you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. The context. Luke uh, chapter 15, I just want to read just a little bit of this story real quick in closing. It seems maybe a bit odd, like the, the story of the prodigal son, how, how does this fit? I, I want to I read this because the Lord was just burning something in my heart. Uh, I love the prodigal son. I could teach on the whole thing, but I'm not going to do that. I, I just, most of you guys know the story, okay? The prodigal son, it's a parable of the two sons. And one of the sons goes to his dad, and this is in the first century context, this story, okay? He goes to his dad, he's like, I want my inheritance, um, and I want it now. And, and in that time, that'd be like saying, uh, dad, it, you know, it's, it, you're dead to me, because that's what happens when parents die, you get an inheritance. He says, dad, I really don't care about your life, I want my inheritance now, I'm out. Yeah. And he rolls out, uh, and, and he wastes his money, and, and we know the story, prodigal living. Whatever that looks like. We've probably all been there, done that, bought the t-shirt many times, right? Just wasted our life. Uh, Unhealthy living, sinful living. And, And the Bible says he comes to his senses. He came to himself like, what am I doing? Now, I, I want you to understand that that isn't necessarily a moment of repentance. Because here's what I want you to look at. His, his prayer was kind of orphan-minded, actually. His pre-rehearsed prayer to come back to the Father was, was kind of orphan-minded. And here's what I want you to look at in uh, verse 18. He comes to his senses. He says, I will set out and I'll go back to my father. And I'll say to my father, he had this all planned out so that the father might have mercy on him. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And look what he says. Make me like one of your hired servants. Because a servant in a house still has a place to live and food. And he was eating pig pods. So he's like, I'd rather just eat servant food than lie in the pig pen. 
Now look at the pre-rehearsed prayer. He says, I've sinned against you and I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your servants. Okay, now we know the rest of the story, right? Next verse, while he was still a long way off, what'd the father do? Father saw him. Father was just waiting for him to come home. Didn't, didn't violate his will, but just waiting for his heart to turn. And it says, a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Forgiveness and love and mercy displayed before the son said any type of sinner's prayer. It's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. So you have the parable of these two sons. They're both sons with an orphan spirit. One is just out of the house. The other is in the house. There's there's prodigal sons. There's sons that have that orphan spirit that go to church every Sunday. That's a good word, pastor. Come on, preach it. Come on. Glory to God. Now look at this. He comes, the father displays mercy and compassion. Now in the first century, old men didn't run, man. It just, it was disrespectful. They walked because they were astute and they walked because they were Abbas. They were elders. They were respectable. Old men didn't run in that day. But this father looked different because Jesus was revealing a different type of dad. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. And Jesus reveals who the father is. He runs to his son, kisses him. You're forgiven. You're loved. Compassion. Then, then here goes the son. Ready? Check this. You're going you're gonna to get this. This is so profound. He says, the son said, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Then right as he's about to say the rest of the prayer. So make me like one of your heart. The father interrupts his prayer his little solo interrupts his prayer he says the father said to his servants quick bring the best robe and put it on immediately the father's love distinguishes his you're not a servant don't even let that come out of your mouth you see the holy spirit gives when we know the father's heart there is no room for pretentious prophecies and orphan minded prayers there's no room for it in the father's love There's no room for it in the Father's presence. We become a symphony. We're not striving for significance. We're not trying to be better than, we're not trying to one-up, you know, like in a prayer circle, like, oh, praise God and Lord, I just hear you saying this and this. Then the next person's like, yeah, you're saying that, Lord, but even more so, you're saying this and this and this. Have you heard that before? Like, what are we doing? Trying to one-up each other. We do it all the time. Do it on Facebook, one-up, one-up, one It's like, when is it going to end? It ain't about a solo, it's about a symphony. It's about humility. Imagine all the healing breakthroughs we'd see if nobody just tooted their horn and said, oh, when I laid hands on them, they were raised from the dead, praise God. If we just got our ego out of the way for a change. Hello? So the father interrupts his orphan-minded prayer says go get the robe you're not a servant you're royalty son don't even let that junk come out of your mouth you're royalty give him a robe put a ring on his finger that's trust a signet ring i trust you son you don't have to earn your trust i trust you here the holy spirit 
the seal of the Holy Spirit. I've never seen that before. Sandals on his feet. You're not a servant. You got shoes. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. You know what that means? A fatted calf would kill about, uh, feed about a hundred people. That's a big crowd. Come on, somebody. You see, if somebody did this to their father, the city, the community would be repulsed by the son. One of the reasons the father ran to him was also to stop the angry mob from killing him when he walked in the city or beating him up when he walked in. So the fatted calf represents Jesus. When we feast on him, we come together and we love and we honor and we wash each other's feet. Come on. The fatted calf, the father says, kill the fatted calf. Because I want everyone in this community to know this is my son. Nobody mess with my son. He's royalty. I'm going to just finish reading this. Isn't this beautiful? He says, kill the fatted calf. My son was dead and now he's alive. It was lost and now he's found. They began to celebrate. Now here's what happened. They're celebrating. And the other son who also had an orphan spirit, even though he lived in the house, it's like, you never did this for me. You didn't even give me a goat. And he's whining. He's whining. That orphan spirit. I don't prophesy like sister so-and-so. Hello? Well, I pray for people. They never get healed. I'm just quitting. Come on. Orphan-minded prayers. Here's what's powerful about this. He heard a a sound. Do you know what the the Greek is? In one of the oldest Bibles we know, the Syriac, Pesheto, that he heard a symphony. Which is the same word used in Matthew 18 when Jesus is like, hey, you got a problem with your brother? Go to him, work it out. Because when two or more agree, I'm there. Agree is the word symphony. The word harmony. When we're in harmony, he manifests. The brother heard it and it ticked him off. Because he didn't know what spirit he was of. He heard a symphony. The sound of agreement actually angered him. Sounds like a religious spirit, doesn't it? The sound of love, the sound of unity, the sound of faith, the sound of hope, the sound of, I mean, I could just go on and on and think about all the the religious stuff that goes on in the solo cultures that we have made. Instead of being the symphony, that agreement, the symphony, the sound of love, and I'm telling you, there is a sound when the gifts are in harmony, there's a beautiful sound, a symphony of God's heart resounding his love because in the presence of the father the revelation of the father see one son had the the father's he knew the father's love the other son did not that's the difference in the story one son had a, a greater glimpse of who the father is isn't that good the other son still trying to earn his position still praying use me lord Use me, Lord. How about we just pray? Help me to love better. At the end of this chapter, Paul says, I'm going to show you a better way. And how does it start? What's 1 Corinthians 13? Hello? I know I've gone long, guys, but don't fall asleep on me. I'm closing right now. What's What's 1 Corinthians 13? The love chapter. Because it's all about the gift. 
lists all the gifts, but then he says, no, the gift is love. Oh, come on. Wow. Wow. Wow is right.